very, very depressing, <laughs> despondent uh, episode of Under the Dome today. Hey, everybody. Um, welcome to an, an episode or another episode of Under the Dome. We are going to talk about the NFC Championship game, the AFC Championship game, and the Super Bowl from hell that we will have to sit through. You know, it's going to be a bad Super Bowl when... No, I can't even say that. I was going to say that I'm looking forward to Lady Gaga. But I can't even say that because I'm not looking forward to that either. Uh, In the past, what, 10 years, 13 years... I think I've only missed one Super Bowl recently, and that was the 2004 Super Bowl with, uh, or 2005. The one where the Philadelphia Eagles played the uh, New England Patriots. Um, yeah. Because I was actually in that, yeah, it was in 2005 because we were in Disney World. So I missed that actual game. I caught the end. I uh, We got back to our hotel room um, just in time to see uh, um, uh, Donovan McNabb throw up on the field. Because he couldn't handle the pressure, <laughs> he oh he was sick. Um, but yeah, he threw up on the field. So um, yeah, I watched that final that final quarter, and uh, that was the only Super Bowl I really missed. Probably going back to the '80s Super Bowls with uh, there were so many blowouts; they were just boring to watch. Uh, you know, I even sat through the damn Cowboys Super Bowl. So you know, <laughs> I was desperate for that. But well, um, you know, anyway. It- for guys like us, and I, I, you and I are, I feel like are a, a whole bunch, a lot, a lot of like. For us, uh, the kids have Christmas, uh, birthdays, what have you. Super Bowl Sunday is our holiday, you know. It, yeah. And I feel like it's been tainted now. <laughs> Emphasis on the taint. What is that? What you're trying to say? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's that kind of day. Hey, everybody, let's introduce <laughs> each other. I'm uh, I'm Alan Ulrich. I'm your host for Under the Dome, and yeah, it's been kind of a depressing day, but today is a good day because seven years ago tonight was the what the, the real NFC Championship game. Saints versus the Vikings, and in case you question the date, January 1st, uh, January 24th. Sorry, I did it again. <laughs> That's because I'm reading this backwards. January 24th, 2010, I was there. Uh, this was this was full of beer um, back then, but it's Coke tonight. Um, so anyway, that was a great energy championship game. I posted on uh, New Orleans Saints Facebook group and also on uh, – you know, a couple other groups, um, you know, the, the NFC championship game mic'd up. And I'm telling you, listen to Paul Allen of the Vikings reaction to Tracy Porter's interception uh, with 19 seconds left in the game. That is Saints fan porn. That is probably the most – when he goes, but why do you bother to pass? I mean, you can take a knee and kick a 56-yard field goal. This is not Detroit, man. This is for the Super Bowl. Oh, my God. That is so awesome. I can listen to that forever. Yeah. I, I really can. <laughs> that, is just, that, is, that is just so enjoyable. So, 
it was enjoyable. Anyway. It was enjoyable so much for me because going into that game, the only thing that you could hear about uh, media wise was this was going to be the crowning the the crowning achievement in Brett Favre's career. He was going to go out on top, win the Super Bowl, and ride off into the sunset. And we, uh, they, they just absolutely discounted the New Orleans Saints, which that's going to be a recurring theme throughout this show. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The, um, well, we, we all had signed, we called the uh, Energy Championship game Brett Favre's retirement party. We were off by a year. He retired the following season, but it was uh, Kurt Warner retirement party for the NFC uh, Divisional Playoff game, and that game's the NFC, uh, NFC Championship game was supposed to be the Brett Favre retirement party. And I tell you, um, I, I've told this to people before because when I was there watching that fourth quarter, you know, I, I felt like how Peyton Manning felt in – if you ever watch the America's Game series on uh, on NFL Network, uh, I felt like Peyton Manning felt the year they went to the Super Bowl back in 2006. You know, this is our time. We, we're going to win this. That, that was In my mind, it was no question. And when the Vikings were driving for that field goal, they were going to try and kick – until Tracy Porter made the interception. I'm just like, it's, it's not going to end this way. Something's going to happen that they are not going to be able to kick this field goal because that's not what's going to go on in this game. We did not go th- come this far to be the number one seed, host a divisional uh, playoff game, host division uh, NFC championship game, and lose. That just was not going to happen. So Tracy Porter's interception to me was – it was more relief than oh yeah, absolutely sheer joy. I mean, it was joy too, but it was just it was like, see, I knew this was not going to happen. It couldn't happen, and uh, you know, it was just an unbelievable night. I've described it to so many people so many times. Um, when Hartley what? went to go make that kick, it was so quiet in the dome. You you hear his foot hit the ball, and um, the roar, it was louder. Okay, it was louder than Gleason's block, kick, return for a touchdown. But Gleason's was longer um, because it was just this sheer joy. And then people started grabbing each other, hugging each other. They just couldn't believe it. And, of course, you know, they got to set up on the field, the stage and everything, and the confetti's all coming down. Uh, and they're going to present the uh, George Howis trophy there. So, you know, people just kind of quieted down to watch when this is going to happen. They let out another cheer, of course, when he hosted the tro- hosted, uh, hoisted the trophy. But, um, you know, it was one of those moments that was like, it was almost surreal. You couldn't believe it that the Saints actually were going to the Super Bowl. Because, uh, you know, for so many years you talked about how, yeah, uh, one day the Saints will go to the Super Bowl, hopefully in my lifetime, was the joke. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that they went, um, I know a lot of people are angry that we haven't gone back since then. But, and I, I, it bothers me a lot, too, especially because 2011 we were so, I thought that was an even better team. And it didn't happen, but you know, you 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 felt like we've done it. 
it does it it almost doesn't matter because you've done it. You went to yeah. the mall and you won on your first attempt. You didn't come all this way. You look at all these teams like the Buffalo Bills, the Minnesota Vikings, to go four times and never win. And now the Vikings can't even get past the NFC Championship game. They went to the NFC Championship game four times and never won. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles went, I think, eight or nine times and never won. The Chiefs haven't been to a divisional game since 1993, and that was their only divisional game since the AFL-NFL merger. I mean, it just yeah. it goes on and on. So – People forget, as good as Drew Brees is, just how hard it is to go. And I guess it really – I hate giving the Patriots compliments, but I guess it really is just that much more impressive that the Patriots have been so many times on the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And part of it is because the AFC stinks, but the other part of it is the, uh, you know, just a tremendous coaching job that they do. Um, okay, well, that uh, just that just knocks. Me <laughs> well, no, we, way, can, we, we, I, can, I, we can rip into him later. We can still rip into him. Uh, and by the way, uh, just for the record, I would like to, to let everybody know my name is Sean Williams. And yeah, uh, we kind of went straight into the conversation I'm, off air on air. <laughs> uh, I'm the other host. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm the one without hair and without the height, but uh, <laughs> appealing nonetheless. But uh, we want to thank Fan First Productions, our sponsor, for uh, having the uh, infinite <laughs> wisdom uh, to, to back us on our play. Uh, we want to thank uh, John Pinto and Joel Smith for their support and their hard work to help us out. Uh, you, we're available on iTunes uh, under the dome and you can follow us on Twitter under the dome. Wait a minute. Under the dome P O one at under the dome P O one. My esteemed colleague is at 79 Saints, and I am at Drew's Dad 3721, as well as uh, I, I generally uh, do the handle the tweeting from the, uh, the company account. Um, but, Alan, if we want to uh, get streamlined here and get, get back on topic, uh, going to that NFC Championship game, let's get that out of the way and, and – uh, I, I have my puke bucket over here. <laughs> uh, you know, I hate the Atlanta Falcons with everything inside of me that I have to bring to bear to hate. That being said, uh, being in the capacity that I'm in as per this show, as per a sports journalist, blah, 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 I have to give them uh, – I have to step outside of the uh, the fandom and uh, give the devil their due. They're they're playing at a really high level right now. I would not be at all surprised. It's kind of a it's a unique position to be in because I hate equally hate both teams that are in what I 
consider to be my favorite holiday of the of the year, uh, which is Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, and I, I utterly and completely despise both teams that are involved in it. Uh, some people say, well, you know, you got to pull for the Atlanta Falcons because they're NFC South. Well, uh, in the in the words of my, it doesn't work that way. In the words of my one of my mentors, Mr. Sean Fox from ESPN 97.7, pulling for the the Falcons or the Panthers because they're from the NFC South is like pulling for Satan because he's in the Bible. It, it just uh, <laughs> it, it don't work that way. I'm sorry. Uh, some well, of my friends I- that, that cover the, the Falcons, you know – for their sake, I wish them luck, uh, not for the team. But, you know, there again, and, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later when I uh, pain right up here in my forehead starts doing this. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start – I'm going to uh, say my piece about the, the uh, Patriots as well. But uh, the NFC Championship game that – shouldn't have been in my opinion well here's the thing that you can we can say about the falcons uh making it to the uh super bowl with the falcons making it to the super bowl this year the nfc south is the only division since realignment and I mean realignment when we went to these four division format uh in 2002 it's the only division that has managed to send all four teams of that division to the Super Bowl. No other division in football can say that. Tampa in 2002, the Saints in 2009, well, the 2009 season, guys. Um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the Panthers last year and the Falcons this year, you've now had all these teams go. And, then of course, the Panthers and the Falcons have both had been um, earlier, too. The Panthers went uh, in 2004 and lost uh, to the uh, to the New England Patriots, and the Falcons went back in the 1998 season and lost to the Denver Broncos when the Broncos got two, and it was Elway's last game. So, you know, it's something that you look at a division like the NFC East, where the Redskins haven't been since 1991, the Eagles made it in 2005, but lost. Uh, The Giants have won twice. The Cowboys have not been there since 1995 with Barry Switzer uh, in Super Bowl 30 when they beat the Steelers, you know. And then you look at the other divisions, the the NFC North, it's only been the Steelers and the the, uh, Ravens. AFC. AFC, I mean, I'm sorry, AFC North. Uh, In the AFC East, it's only been the Patriots. None of those teams have been. The the uh, Buffalo Bills haven't been to the playoffs in the 21st century. The Cincinnati Bengals in the NFC, AFC North hasn't won a playoff game since 1990. So, you know, and, of course, you've got the Cleveland Browns, New York Jets. Uh, the, you know, they're always picking in the top ten. Um, so, I mean, it's just an amazing statistic to see. and And that was supposed to be – uh, if I remember Warren Sapp's quote correctly, that was sort of the easy division. 
when they had realignment that the NFC South was going to be the, the terrible division, easy to roll through, and it turns out to be the most competitive one of all. Uh, so it's well, it, that I is mean, the you, one. You look at the uh, the stand. You look at the standard that we carry right now. I mean, you're talking about four teams in this division and led by quarterbacks uh, Drew Brees, Matt Ryan, <laughs> Cam Newton, and Jameis Winston. How could that really, be anything but competitive? That's exactly it. This is a quarterback-driven league, and this is the one division, Scott. I'm not going to quite put Jameis Winston in that list. I'll say three and a half quarterbacks. They, that's the one division that's got three and a half quarterbacks. And I know my, the Buck fans that are watching are probably like going, ah, 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 ah. but, you know, listen, it, Winston's coming along, but he's got some yeah. growing up still to do. And I think Tampa can recognize that at least. Um, well, he he doesn't have the uh, – the- the time on the job that the other three have. No, he, he is a lot like Marcus Mariota. You know, he is still in that. Yeah. He's coming along. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, and if this he is, continues at the, at the rate that he's moving now, sure, sure. He, he will is. absolutely be in that category. Right. He will, he will. But um, they haven't won anything since 2008. They had a shot in the playoffs this year and they fell apart at the end of the season. And some of it is on, is on Winston. Some of it's on Doug Martin, uh, and, you know, just different things happened to that team, but they kind of grew up really fast, a lot faster than they should have probably in uh, this past yeah, season. Yeah. But it's a quarterback-driven league, and if you don't have a quarterback, you're not going to win. Those teams that I mentioned, That's the, right. Bills, the Bills, the Jets, the Browns, uh, they don't have a quarterback. They're still searching for one. Nope. Um, you know, yeah. the Raiders finally got to be decent because they've got a quarterback. I think the only team that still doesn't have a quarterback that's managing to win is the Houston Texans. Um, but that's an exception. It's not the rule. You know, um, the Bengals- And to be honest, to be honest with you, I think the, the anomaly that is the Houston Texans being a playoff team, I think that's got a lot more to do with the fact that it's a weak division than it oh, yeah, does but, uh, yeah. that the, the Texans are a great team. You've got the Jacksonville Jaguars in there, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are essentially the Saints under John Meekham. Um, you know, they they have Ooh. front office problems. They have quarterback problems. They have coaching problems. They've got everything. You know, they finally get a good draft pick, and they get hurt. You know, I mean, it's just it, – it's yeah. a team that cannot seem to win, um, you know, no matter who's in charge for whatever reason. And players and, need and that you know. You, you know as well as I do is that, uh, I mean, you can look at our history and, and it bears out the same message. Uh, that doesn't last forever. No, no, but it, it takes it, it. It takes patience and it takes yeah. a bit of luck and it takes some good fortune yeah. consecutively. You know, two of the teams that were in the playoffs this year in the NFC, uh, and you mentioned the NFC Championship game, the game that it shouldn't have been. Um, look, Green Bay beat Dallas fairly. Uh, a lot of it was on Aaron Rodgers, and Atlanta was a a bad matchup. A lot of people could see that coming, but it was enjoyable yeah. to see Dallas lose. Um, but Green Bay just ran out of gas. You know, the first 
play of the game. Another player gets injured. He lost two offensive linemen during the game. I mean, it just was not a good matchup for a team like the Falcons, uh, a beat-up and, and hobbling uh, Packers team. But what, what, I I res- say- what I resent is how the the media or maybe the play-by-play people, uh, how they make it sound like it's such a tragedy that Green Bay has come all this way and it ends it. They had no business being there. They were, they had used up all of their four leaf clovers three games ago. Well, but it also speaks volumes of the quality opponents they, they had to face. I mean, Detroit, Detroit was a, a hobble team coming into the playoffs. And so were the giants. Um, you know, Dallas Dallas is one of those teams that uh, also grew up very quickly. Um, you know, a lot of people look at that team like and saying things like, you know, why aren't the Saints like the Cowboys? Well, how many seasons did the Cowboys go 8-8 eight and eight before they finally were able to hit lucky picks with Dak Prescott and, um, and really Ezekiel Elliott staying healthy? Yeah, uh, and running behind and that, that really good offensive line. That that offensive yeah, line that, took a long time to build. And and for the most part, it remained healthy during the course of the season, yes. just like Atlanta. Yes, yes. But uh, the point they, that you've I've heard you make on this this show over and over and over and over. People don't understand. Excuse me. Understand and fully acknowledge exactly how much. Luck is involved in making a Super Bowl run. The ball bounces your way. You you don't have the turnovers in, in every game. You, you know, stuff you like catch, that. And you catch teams at the right time, too. You're catching, yeah. you're catching a team when a, a key starter may be out. Or you're catching a team that's coming off of a short week and has to travel to see you. Or you're, you're, you know, it, that's the kind of things that happen in a championship run, uh, and you're kind of lulled into forgetting how close some of these games are because you remember the blowouts, okay? And yeah, the Packers getting to the NFC Championship game, they worked the hard way to get there, but it cost them every in every game. You lost another player, so yeah, I mean, and that is part of the luck that a, a team needs to get to the Super Bowl. You know, the, they got – the Falcons didn't have to face the Cowboys, whom they might have had yeah. more trouble with. They had to face the Packers, who had lost some players because the Packers made plays the Cowboys didn't. You know, and that's how the Cowboys yeah. lost that game. Um, so, yeah, it's – you know, it's – it's Atlanta's a good team, a very good offense, very Saints-like in their offense with diversity of weapons, you know, three wide receivers, two running backs that can, that can really hit the hole fast and really, you know, do a lot of damage. Um, a great offensive line, um, you know, that, and they've got an, a defense because that offense can build up so many points. A defense is designed to rush the passer and the cornerbacks can play aggressively because they're not playing from behind. If they make a mistake, who cares? 
when we get on the field on offense, we're going to score right back again. So, you know, if once they've got a, you know, 10 or 17 point lead, it doesn't matter as far as the defense is concerned. They can give up as many points or as many yards, as much yards as they want, because we know our offense is going to be an effective weapon and the, their, the opposition is going to feel like they've got to pass to play catch up with our offense. And that's the kind of game we want. So yeah, it's yeah. it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see with two weeks preparation how Bill Belichick stops uh, this Falcons team, and I think he can. We'll talk more about that next week when we preview the Super yeah. Bowl. But um, <clears throat> I, I, you know, I think Atlanta is coming in very confident. They're going to come in feeling like they can move the ball against anybody. And that defense is going to be just thinking it's going to be able to just tee off on Tom Brady. So it's going to be interesting to see how this game plays out. I'm really anxious to see how exactly how well that Atlanta defense is going to do against Tom Brady. Because uh, I I think they're performing at a very high level right now. And – I mean, it stands to reason this is the the be all end all as far as games go. Uh, you've you've fought and died all season long to get to the championship game. So obviously, you're going up against the best of the best, and that's how you're going to measure yourself when it comes when it looking back on this season. Well, I was getting ready to say. Meanwhile, in the AFC, speaking of an easy road to the Super Bowl. The Patriots had a very Aww. easy road. I mean, they, they play once again. Oakland does not. Oakland comes in minus a quarterback, minus uh, their best offensive lineman. They get knocked out. They probably could have really challenged the Patriots. Instead, they get to play the Texans, who spent seventy-two million dollars on a uh, paperweight, um, you know, a doorstop. Uh, and as good as that defense was, I mean, I'm almost 50 years old, and I could probably play quarterback better than uh, Osweiler plays right now. Um, he's just so slow. Back there. I put my money on you. <laughs> he's just so slow dropping back and so slow and delivering the ball and, and making his reads, you know. And so the Patriots got an, an easy victim instead of maybe the high-powered Oakland Raiders team that, you know, the Saints saw in week one. Um, and, so and they that, get that game. Even that being said, they tried, like I said last week on here, they tried so hard so many times, so many different ways to give that game away. And Houston yeah. just wasn't even able to step up and, and grab a hold of it and take it. No. And then – in the NFC, in the AFC Championship game, they get the Pittsburgh Steelers, whom now I like the Steelers, and I generally like Mike Tomlin as a coach. But Tomlin, quite frankly, was completely outcoached by Belichick again. Um, I don't know if he honestly believed that he was just going to be able to do whatever he normally does and beat the Patriots and. I would think that after all these beatdowns by the Patriots, the Steelers would finally figure out, you know what? Whatever we're the worst at, that's what we have to get better at because Bill Belichick took away Antonio Brown. And then 
to see Le'Veon Bell just pull a uh, – I don't want to say it because it's not fair, but Le'Veon Bell goes out hurt. And I'm sorry. Um, I just feel like it was almost like a Jay Cutler type of thing. Remember when Cutler – sat out in the NFC Championship game against the Packers back in, I think it was 2010. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things like, really? This is the NFC Championship game. You know, Jack Youngblood played with a broken leg. Uh, you need to suck yeah. it up and go out there and play. Unless you're dying, you know, unless they take your helmet from you because you have a concussion, you need to figure out how to get back out there and play because your team needed you. Because once he was gone, that was it for the offense. And Absolutely. The Pittsburgh defense, yes, it was an illusion. Um, they weren't as good as we thought they were. But they still it, – it looked like they had no idea how to defend Tom Brady. And you would think you'd figure that out by now. After all these tries, yeah. why are you playing zone defense? Why are you not matching up these receivers man-to-man across the board? They're not that great. Yeah. These cornerbacks couldn't match up with these guys man-to-man. You play zone, that's that's you know that's easy pickings for Brady. He's going to pick you apart with that kind of stuff. And Atlanta plays zone. Atlanta does not play man-to-man on their defense. So it's going to be interesting to see how Atlanta is going to handle this because I expect, you know, Brady to pick the, pick the uh, Falcons apart too. If that offensive line can protect him, you know, Brady's just so much sharper. Um, and he's got a healthy receiving core, you know, minus Gronkowski, but you still have uh, the other tight end. I can't Martellus. Marcel Bennett, you know, who's not – it's like Ben Watson to Jimmy Graham. I mean, it's not a um, yeah. it's not a huge drop off. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to go so far as to make a, any sort of uh, wild, bold prediction as of yet. Um, but I think that if there is an offense in this league that can match the Patriots blow for blow, I mean, excuse me, match the Falcons blow for blow. It very well may be the the New England Patriots, and those those two things being equal, what's going to make the difference is which team has a better defense. And at this point in time, I I can't help but feel like the Atlanta Falcons defense is outperforming what the New England Patriots are doing. Um, do you remember the nineteen ninety Super Bowl? Uh, the Jets, I mean the Jets, the Giants versus the Bills. Um. Yeah, the Bills came into that Super Bowl, the Super Bowl twenty-five, came into that Super Bowl with uh, a high-powered K-gun offense. Uh, there were no huddle; they just ran the ball and threw the ball all over the field, and just were blowing out teams in the playoffs. The Bills blew out the Raiders, and um, they blew out another team. I can't remember. I just remember the Raiders game because of the Spider-Man outfit that uh, Biscuit had on. Um, uh, yeah, Cornelius Bennett had the had the um the the onesie underneath, and it was like a Spider Man looking costume because um, it was so cold. But you know, in that game, Houston. the game plan, yeah, it was Houston. That's right, they beat Houston. Houston Oilers. That that was the Frank yeah. Wright game. No, no, no. That was that was ninety. That was ninety two. 
I was at that. I was at the Eagles game that came on after. Do you think of the 38-35 Frank Reich takes him back? No, that was third. That was 1992. Now this is 1990. It could have been Houston. It could have been Cincinnati. I don't remember the. I don't remember who the divisional playoff team was. I just remember the Raiders getting killed uh, in yeah. Ridge Stadium, and Buffalo go to the Super Bowl. And what the Giants ran that year um, was they got very slow and very patient. Long drives, a lot of O.J. Anderson, a lot of short passes to Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram, our Mark Ingram's dad. Um, Bavaro. Bavaro wasn't there anymore. Bavaro was in Philadelphia, I think, at the time. But, uh, no, it was was just very – it was a very methodical – because the quarterback wasn't even Phil Sims. The quarterback was uh, 15, Hostetler. Hostetler. Yeah, was a quarterback. And – uh, McCaskey, I think, was one of the other receivers. I have to go back and look at the game again. But that, you know, of course, that's Ma- that's the wide range. McConkey, McConkey, McConkey. That's right, McConkey. That was Navy. a wide right game. That was yes, that was the wide right game of uh, with um, with the Buffalo Bills. They lost nineteen to twenty. But Norwood, huh? yeah, Scott Norwood. Norwood. Scott Norwood can fire the shot heard around the world. Yes, I remember the play, the, the call. But anyway, um, the point is, I would not be surprised to see Bill Belichick dust off a similar game plan and sure. have the Patriots play a very slow, methodical, keep Ryan on the, on the sidelines, off the field, and wear that defense out because – the Buffalo Bills defense was built much like the Atlanta defense, undersized, a lot of pass rushers, not that great against the run. Uh, they And they would get worn out by the fourth quarter because they were on the field so much. And that's right. We, we saw a little bit of that. You know, granted, it was a Saints loss, but we saw a little bit of that in that last game of the season in Atlanta. When Breeze started to come back, and it really, you know, we all knew it really wasn't likely the Saints were going to come back and win that game. But you could see the Atlanta defense getting tired, busting up the middle to get his 1,000 yards. Um, <clears throat> you know, Mike Thomas just abusing Collins. Uh, you know, you saw a lot of, I think Belichick's going to sit there and look at that film a lot from that last part of the game and see what the Saints were doing offensively and also see how the the, uh, Falcons were responding to this attack. Uh, And I think he's going to try a lot of the same thing. And on on defense, I think he's going to double up Julio Jones, silence him, attack the guards, get Ryan off his spot, make him roll out towards where the coverage is rolling against Julio Jones. So he really has no options to throw to. And you're going to see they're going to emphasize a lot of bring your man down as soon as he catches the ball. No broken tackles, yeah. you know, and wear that uh, Falcons defense out. So that's just my theory. If I was Belichick, that's the kind of thing I would look to do. And I think we'll probably see something like that. So it'll be that that's the only part of the Super Bowl we're looking forward to. What's the game plan the Patriots are going to do? Because there's no way, no way on earth Belichick is going to allow Julio Jones and Matt Ryan just to go off. It's just not going to happen. No. 
that, uh, if that if that looks to be the eventuality, you'll see uh, Bill Belichick have an aneurysm on the sidelines. <coughs> and that head, actually might be entertaining. That would be entertaining. Well, yeah. To watch. Uh, you know, <coughs> with two weeks uh, from there, I just cannot see that happening. So I, I'm, we do have I'm a football set game. up. Set up what? your rant. Oh, the, uh, say, we do have a football game coming up this weekend. The Senior Bowl. We're all going to watch the Senior Bowl, right? Because they got some other thing uh, on Sunday in Orlando. This illusion of a game. Uh, how you want you, me to? Yeah, what was the title you gave this thing? The annual pre-Super Bowl league-sanctioned popularity contest and marketing supplement. Yeah. Also and that just came Pro off Bowl. the top of my head. Well, you know. Even a stopwatch is right twice a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the Pro Bowl, they've tried so many things to make this game interesting. Um, and it just can't be done because the players don't care. Um, there's no incentive anymore. Uh, it's, they want to get the name out there that, you know, because for contract purposes, they want to get it named, you know, be named to a pro bowl or named to an all pro team, but it's obvious they are interested in doing it. Um, so there's something else that's going to have to be done. Um, and I don't know, you know, the funny thing is the NBA does their pro bowl, their equivalent of pro bowl, the all-star game so well, and so does the uh, so does major league well, baseball. there's a big difference be- there's a big difference because they do theirs in the middle of the season rather than at the end of the season. Obviously, well, the teams that are going to be involved in the postseason in the NFL are going to be eliminated from participating in the Pro Bowl at the end of the season, and I think that's yeah. got that plays a big part in it. Well. They used to do the Pro Bowl at the end after the week after the Super Bowl. And a lot of Super Bowl yeah. players like to go to the Pro Bowl because they wanted to, you know, show off the fact that they won in front of all their peers. Um, and unfortunately, they decided to try and do that, move it to the week before the Super Bowl because they wanted something to go on between the two weeks that they have off for the championship game. Uh, the season also used to be shorter. Super Bowls used to take place in January, not in February like they do now. Um, so the Pro Bowl was actually kind of a, uh, a last-minute gift. But there's just something that's got to be done. They tried the fantasy football thing. Uh, it worked the first year. It was entertaining the first year. The second year it was really bad. So they went back to the AFC-NFC matchup. Uh, there's nothing they can say about it. Um, the only thing I'm going to say is there's a picture of a guy right here, okay? He's right here, too. But this is, You can see his jersey right here. Drew Brees, you know, is going to take Matt Ryan's place. But this guy right here, 92 catches, what, nine touchdowns over 1,000 yards, broke the Saints rookie record. He's not invited to the Pro Bowl. An overrated egomaniac who doesn't deserve to wear number 88 
um, for the Dallas Cowboys is going in his stead. And he's not even the best receiver in Dallas this year. Cole Beasley was a better receiver than him. But the popularity. Do you want the stats on that, Alan? Yeah, go ahead and give me the stats on that. Mike Thomas had 92 catches for 1,137 yards and nine touchdowns. Had 50 catches for 796 yards and eight touchdowns. And uh, Big Beasley had, what, 81 catches for 800 and something yards and five touchdowns. Um, And also, Brandon Cooks uh, had 78 catches, 1,173 yards, and eight touchdowns. So, I mean, it's not just the rookie that's getting the shaft here. Right, right. You know, it's it's Des Bryant who, you know, I'm sorry, what has he done? You know, what – the fact that he plays for the Dallas Cowboys is the only reason why he gets this recognition. Um, he, he's a nobody. He really is. If it's not for his antics on the sidelines, most people wouldn't pay attention to him. Exactly. Um, and and, he, and I, I put into that same category a player that's working very hard to be considered in that same uh, – same classification. That's Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, Odell Beckham. Odell Jr. Beckham. Odell Beckham I, was on was on the cusp of being an icon in this league, and he is in in the course of one season. He's gone from being an icon to being about that far from being one of those players that bounces around two years to this team, two years to that team. Because nobody wants to put up with his BS. Well, he's immature. He's horribly immature. When you look at how this guy handled the Denver game, for example, where he fumbled twice and pretty much cost us the ball game, okay? Odell Beckham Jr. would have thrown a temper tantrum, punched a hole in the wall, got in a fight with kicking net, um, and just lost his mind. Elst. Yeah. And lose both of them. <laughs> this guy here comes back with a vengeance and has a great end of the season. He doesn't let that get to him. It happens. You were a rookie. In fact, it was funny. To, to, you know, the fans' reaction to him losing the game, once they got past the initial anger that they lost the game, was, you know what? He is a rookie. We're kind of treating him like he's a veteran. Uh, even though he dropped those passes and fumbled, you know, it, it, it was a rookie kind of game. He finally had a rookie game, you know, and it's just. I, I, See, that's this that's is, the this one is, overwhelming this, this thing about. That's the one uh, overwhelming thing about this team this year that people are so quick to overlook and, and to to not consider exactly how many rookies, first year, uh, second year players had to step up and play a role, not because they wanted to, but because that was the only option that this club had. Well, you know, I don't like divas. And yes, Joe Horn was a diva, but I generally don't like diva receivers. And, 
being a positive diva, if you can say that. Um, he didn't, he showboated phone thing and stuff, but he never shirked talking to reporters. He never had game or something bad happened. He didn't blow up. He didn't get into fights with inanimate objects or punch holes in walls or just be a, an ass like a, uh, like you see some of these receivers do. You know, he did it to entertain the crowd, okay? Brandon Cooks are really the kind of model receivers that, and, you know, Marcus Colston, when Colston was still playing with the Saints, um, that show the kind of player that the Saints like, you know, the mature, just do my job kind of guy, and great things will happen. And um, yeah, that that's that was that was a pro that's a problem right now. The league seems to encourage the diva behavior among receivers, like a Des Bryant, like an uh, OJ, yeah. Odell Beckham. You know, um, they like that showboating, running your mouth kind of stuff. You know, I, I have to say this: if there was any Atlanta Falcon player I'd like to have on the Saints right now, that's. Uh, Julio Jones. That's another guy that just does his job. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, uh, flip the ball off to people. You know, stand over him. You know, like a defensive back and stand over him like that. Like you know, I just put you down. That kind of thing. He just does his job. Goes back to the huddle, and I'm gonna go get that ball again and run on you again. You know, it's very. And, and he he played the same game when. He had one catch against us in that first Monday night matchup that yep. he played Sunday when he had, what, almost 200 yards receiving? Yeah, he had 300. I think he had close to 300 against the Saints in that last game. Um, he had 500 against – no, he had 300 against Carolina, 300 against Carolina. That's what it was. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> it just felt like 300 against the Saints. We had 300 against Carolina. Um, I was really shocked. I was shocked that the the Pittsburgh – all I heard leading up to the AFC Championship game was uh, how Pittsburgh had the defense. And I was really shocked that Pittsburgh's defense was such a non-factor in that game. The conspiracy theorist or the conspiracy theorist I would read online would be that the Pittsburgh Steelers laid down in that game. Oh, um, they, they laid down big time. They took a dive. They took a dive. I don't, oh, I don't no, really, no, that's I don't, different. <laughs> I don't really believe that or look like it because that was not the team that you saw just the week earlier. Yeah. I don't believe Mike Tomlin is that bad of a coach. These things like I was, we were surprised with the things that the Patriots are doing. Really? You were surprised? What did the Patriots do that you hadn't seen before? I don't know. It was. I find it. it I, I think it's really, uh, it's really hard to believe that a coach that has the survivability, if you want, want to call it that of Mike Tomlin yeah. you're going to base your entire I mean, game plan on Le'Veon Bell 
Yeah, that the warning signs were there. I mean, the warning signs, like, you know, the inability to score touchdowns against, you know, they played essentially a blackjack game against the, the Chiefs with the field goal, you know, hit me, hit me, hit me. First team, 21 wins. Um, you know, they they there were warning signs throughout their season when you saw games where the Steelers just could not score any points. Um, they were a very inconsistent team. So, you know, it wasn't a surprise they lost. Not really, but it was disappointing. And it sure looked like they looked like they really weren't interested in this game at all. Um, it was very disappointing to see that in an NFC Championship game, uh, AF Championship game. The last team I saw come in and look that bad was probably uh, the in 2000 when uh, teams went to go, when Dante Culpepper went to go up to New York to play the Giants when Sean Payton was the offensive coordinator for the Giants. Uh, and so good against us in the divisional round. And, it, and then it just looked so bad against the Giants. And, yeah. you know, Super Bowl play the Ravens. Um, okay. Um, well, there's not much to talk about the Pro Bowl, but we'll talk about uh, – we talked we, we talk last week about – Do you want to uh, do, do the positional analysis? Yeah. So that we, no, we can talk about that real quick. Um, you know, we talked about the quarterbacks last week. Um, there's still talk that Saints fans want the, want the team to look at drafting a quarterback, and we'll talk more about the draft. In fact, we forgot to make an announcement about this. Um, yeah, I forgot that. Forgot all about that. We the week of April 25th, um, that Tuesday, April 25th, we are going to have a special two-hour pre-draft show. The draft will start that Thursday, and we are going to have some guests. Uh, to come in, we're going to talk about the Saints' needs, um, the la- the latest mock draft we've come up with, how we think the draft is going to fall. We might even do a prediction on the first round. Uh, and then you can come yeah. back and say, you guys don't know what the hell you're talking about. You missed everybody. <laughs> um, so look forward to that. We're going to have s- – we're going to have some uh, guests from uh, that cover teams all over the NFL. I've uh, I've got I've been talking around to some of my old old buddies and and what have you, and we're going to have a guy uh, that I've worked with before that covers the Colts. We're going to have someone that covers the Seahawks, Canaries, and obviously the Saints. Um, it's going to be a big big show and. Uh, Really We're gonna try to cover as many. Yeah. Oh wow. I, I, just, I had a Beatles, just, Beatles flashback. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so did I just date myself by saying that talking like that? People are like, what the hell is what is what what was that? What was that about? Look up Ed, Ed Sullivan, Sullivan, kiddos. Look up the Ed Sullivan <laughs> show. Okay, go ahead. Um, um but the the position that we were gonna analyze tonight as far as looking back all over the 2016 season, uh, kind of evaluating what the position brought to bear, how it managed to get through the season, and kind of looking forward to what uh, the 2017 season has uh, in store for that position. Tonight would be is going to be the running backs. Do you want to get started, Alan? Yeah, well, I mean, we can talk. We can talk about this because. 
listen, you know, Mark Ingram became the first thousand yard Saints running back since Deuce McAllister in 2006. And prior to McAllister, the last running back that got a thousand yards was Ricky Williams. He got a thousand yards even. And then prior to that, you have to go all the way back to 1989 to, uh, to Dalton Higgins the last thousand yard back. And I posted something a few weeks ago, um, you know, you know, Ingram is climbing up the Saints all time rushing list. And he is about um, a little under 2000 yards away, I think from surpassing um, Deuce McAllister for wow. all time leader in rushing. You know, I, sh- so, I sure didn't realize that. No. And it's, it, you know, like I told other people, it speaks volumes about, um, the lack of shelf life for running backs. I mean, as we talked about before, Deuce McAllister basically got 6,000 yards in five seasons. Um, he missed the 2005 season and the 2008 season with knee, I'm sorry, yeah. 2007 season, 2007 season with knee injuries. And he was done by 2008. In his rookie season, he barely played. He really played special teams. So you're only talking through 2004 and the 2006 yeah. seasons as when he did all his damage. Um, yeah. Behind Ingram uh, is Tim Hightower, and then comes the cluster in the back. You've got Tavares Cadet, uh, Daniel Lasco, and the guy who is so low on the totem pole and so deep in Sean Payton's doghouse I don't think people remember he's still on the team, Marcus Murphy. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, he was yeah. he was a healthy scratch most of the season, and I think if they can find anybody that can return kicks, Marcus Murphy's off the team. Um, yeah. So they are in the market for running back. Um, they, Everybody going to be looking for. To- I'm sorry to interrupt, Al. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Everybody seems to want uh, the Saints to draft uh, a running back. And if you can imagine it, we've heard it. uh, Everything from Leonard Fournette to uh, McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey, to uh, these guys that – I think they just pulled out a book and said this name, this name, this name. Guys you've never heard of. Um, and and well, that, that does a big disservice to Mark Ingram. Uh, now, having Hightower, uh, I will say this. Mark Ingram is at his best when he has someone like uh, Hightower behind him, pushing him. To be the to perform, knowing that if he doesn't uh, handle his business, that there's somebody behind him that'll take his job from him. He's never yeah. Ingram has never performed before the way that he has when since uh, since Hi Timmy has been behind him. Uh, you know, well, you know, Chris. Chris Ivory pushed him too. Um, you know, one of England's problems is he always seems to miss um, three or more games. This is one of the few seasons where he stayed healthy the whole season. He always seems to miss two or three games a year. 
and sometimes gets knocked out for the year late in the season with various injuries. And he has stayed, he stayed healthy this year. Um, Listen, I'm one of the guys who thinks the Saints should draft a running back, but not Leonard Fournette. Um, I understand he probably will be a very good back. He could be one of the best backs to come out of the draft. But he's not – he won't fix the Saints' offense. Um, he will be a great running back at running behind the Saints' offense. Yes, he probably would be. But that's not what I'm looking for offense needs is they're still missing that satellite back that Darren Sproles Reggie Bush kind of running back who can do kick returns and is a matchup nightmare uh, coming out of the back out of the backfield those little wheel routes those little arrow routes all those little things that when Drew is looking at the offense he's got a receiver that goes deep in the middle and he's got one that's short and if you can get uh, a fast guy with a lot of moves with good hands matched up on a linebacker, you know, those third and seven, third and eight plays become really easy to convert. And we have been missing that since we traded Sproles to Philadelphia. Here's a, we're going to talk a lot more about this back later on, but this is a back whom is an ideal fit for New Orleans, but his off-field baggage is so bad that he, the Saints probably aren't even going to consider him. Uh, Joe Mixon out of uh, out of Oklahoma, and I can hear Matthews uh, <laughs> over and watching this and I'm screaming, <laughs> "Not just no, but hell no!" And he's no! Yes, the guy the guy punched his girlfriend. I mean, it was a Ray Rice kind of punch. I don't care how much she's yeah. she's hit on him, you know, leading up to that moment. You don't hit a woman. And in this climate especially, you don't want that kind of player on your team. But the skill set is what I was looking at. He's an undersized yeah. little back with good hands, quickness. Yes. That's the kind of skill set that the Saints need. So, you know, look at those kind of backs. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's one. There's a few other backs like that we can look for. Uh, but Cadet's not the answer. Uh, certainly Murphy's not the answer. I don't know what we're going to get on Lasco. I don't know if Lasco's going to be the guy that's going to challenge Hightower. Um, I don't know what kind of hands he's shown. He doesn't show that great a hands, not a mismatch kind of back. But you need that mismatch back to really make this offense even deadlier. Because uh, if you look at the Falcons, again, I'm going to refer to the Falcons here. But if you look what the Falcons are doing, what you have on offense, the harder it is to defend teams. And your defense doesn't have to be yeah. lights out. Because your offense is so good. So, you know, a lot of people like defense, 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 defense in the draft. And I'm like, but we do still need stuff on offense. And it's, we need a guard, yes. We need offensive linemen, yes. But I am looking at a running back, too, that can return kicks and be a weapon on the backfield. Give us an extra weapon to go along with Ingram. So we have that. Twin tornado, a power guy inside, and somebody who can catch passes and hit that corner outside and make you pay. 
especially after we run clear out routes with Thomas and, and Cooks and so forth. So, you know, it's something that we have to look at. So uh, don't, uh, don't just automatically write off no running backs. We're good. I, um, I, I'm not going to say that I disagree with you. Uh, can see the point that you're making about the running back, and, and I don't discount that at all whatsoever my my biggest point is when it when it comes down to breaking this team down position by position by position uh i i just running back is a priority uh i think that well when i say it's not a priority in terms of looking at how badly we need a linebacker how badly we need an edge rusher fourth Mm -hmm. i i I think that running back is down oh. the list. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, like a maybe a late round pick. Uh, but to be totally honest with you, uh, as me personally, before we draft another running back, I would like to see what Lasco is going to work out to be. Uh, yeah. Look, I'm at the attitude right now, and I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just at the attitude right now is we can't have too many good players. And, you know, again, one of the things that makes Atlanta so difficult to defend is they've got two really good running backs who play off each other very well. And, you know, Atlanta is definitely showing us because it reminds me of the 2011 Saints. Uh, they are showing yeah. us that they are very difficult to stop because they have so many weapons. Whereas yeah. when they went when they went eight and eight, and the year before when they fired Mike Smith, um, they uh, they were limited because Roddy White was done. So all you didn't have to worry about Roddy White, you just double covered uh, Julio Jones. And if the third wide receiver, whoever that is, uh, it was a bunch of different guys, but whoever it is, uh, if he can beat you, more power to you. And they couldn't run the ball. Tried Steven Jackson. They tried Jackie's Rogers. They tried all these guys, um, Michael Turner and stuff, and it just wasn't enough. With these two backs, it, it shows that, you know, they can beat you inside and outside, and that's just how I see it. And I think with the rules written the way they are, um, the more offensive weapons you have, it makes your defense better. But – I agree with you. I don't want yeah. a running back at 11. I don't want to draft a running back in the first round, but I am looking at at a running back in round three, round four, somewhere around there. I want well, a linebacker and defensive end address, address first. I never asked you this last week, and mm-hmm. I had it on the outline. We just never work around to it. What do you see as – the number one position of need for the Saints this year oh, going into the pass, draft. Pass rusher. Pass rusher. It's got to be. You've got the beginnings of a good, probably one of the best defensive lines in football, if you can keep Fairley, okay? Uh, with Cam Jordan, yeah, Fairley, even Tyler Davidson and Rankins, uh, if you can get a, a fourth guy right there who can pressure – the quarterback, and play the run because, you know, what you call it, um, 
Ralph Marlborough has talked over and over about Willie Whitehead in the 2006 Saints, uh, I mean, 2000 Saints uh, defensive line that had 66 sacks, Willie Whitehead at five and a half. That, the Willie Whitehead role, I think would be uh, Kihaka. Oh, how do you say his name? <laughs> the, the Pineapple Express. That's the guy that you can pull in. Kikaha. Kikaha. There we go. That's um, Yes, he is the guy that you can have come in on third down and let him roam faster, and you can keep him fresh if he comes back fully from his knee surgeries. Uh, but, you know, he is not going to be your four down, your three-down player. He is a specialist now in this defense. Yeah. And so he is somebody that I would see – I would want coming in later down – but I need you need that pass rusher there. You need linebacker help too. But it starts and ends yeah. because all the great pass rushers come in the draft. I'm not paying forty million dollars for uh, for uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. I'm sorry, I'm just not doing it. I'm not no. going to try and trade no. for JJ. Be honest with you, no. I, I'm I made this comment earlier today. I don't care if the New Orleans Saints sign a free agent at all period if they re-sign Nick Fairley <laughs> well uh, you know Fairley I, you, I still want to keep him uh, keep him hungry I want a, a contract that's very incentive laden that uh, dangles a lot of carrots in front of him to keep him playing at a high level uh, he's another sure. good rotational player uh, but yeah, you've got to make you got to keep him hungry. He, you can't let him yeah. be satisfied, uh, confident, satisfied, and confident that you know, no matter how I play, I got a job here. You can't let him get like that. That was his problem in Detroit. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, defensive pass rushing defensive end is a must. There's there's no ifs ands or buts. If you can get a pass rushing defensive end, you don't have to blitz as much. You can change your coverages now. Um, it just helps you out so much more if you can rush four and drop seven in the coverage. You don't have to rush. You just rush five when you have to. Um, I keep, I keep, I continue to go back and forth between just depending on what day of the week it is. Basically, I keep going back and forth between edge rusher and middle linebacker. I mean, Robertson and uh, Anthony. Robert. Robertson filled uh, in incredibly for the Saints this past year. I, and if I'm not mistaken, I, I would have to check my notes to be certain. But I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he led the team in tackles. I think he did. Uh, I, I think he did. But, you know, I, I, I'm, again – I can I can do middle linebacker, especially if the if the top defensive ends are gone. We have a nightmare draft, and the, all the offensive players get pushed down. You know, and if the choice between Reuben Foster and Leonard Fournette, I'm taking Reuben Foster six days of the week and probably twice on Sunday. Um, oh, please. Yeah, but I I want an edge rusher. If I have my choice, I want an edge rusher over a, a linebacker. Sure. But I'm not going to be upset if we take a linebacker if the, if the edge rushers edge rushers aren't there. I just don't think you can find edge top quality edge rushers. Now I could be wrong. They could go out there and, and 
grab Sheldon Richardson from the Jets and put him down at edge rusher and then go draft Reuben Foster and then come back in the second round and take another pass rusher. They could do all kinds of things. We don't know until free agency plays out. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't that's, know the, how- that's the reason that I, I- – that's the reason that I haven't got all uh, emotionally involved in in the whole draft uh, profile thing. You really can't. Yet. You really can't because no, it, it, you don't know what you're going to get and what you're going to lose. Let's say we lose fairly, okay? Well, now suddenly defensive tackles a need because yeah. and, and, and it's the same. Person. It's the same thing with uh, Streif and Evans as well. Hmm. If, well, if the two of those guys decide tomorrow that they're both going to retire, well, that automatically becomes top of the uh, the yeah. needs list. Well, I'll be it's I'll be process. honest with you. I'll be honest with you. Um, I think there'll be a one-two signing. I think you'll you'll hear fairly get signed right before free agency starts. I think the Saints will sign him. And sure. I don't think they're going to risk him being exposed to free agency. And I think that the Saints will sign Leary from the Cowboys day one or day two of uh, of free agency, probably day one. You'll hear the Saints are close with Fairley, and he'll probably get signed. Uh, not Fairley, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Leary. Uh, and that'll be a guard. But Really? Oh, yeah. I think they, I, okay. they tried to get him before. I think they're definitely interested in him, um, and they want to plug him in at either left guard or right guard, depending on what happens with Jari Evans. Um, yeah. You know, and let um, <clears throat> if Evans doesn't come back, if Evans retires, they're going to plug him in at right guard. But if Evans does come back, um, they might go roll with Streif and Evans one more year and let um, – plug Leary in at left guard and put him next to Armstead and have our first round pick Pete play the third tackle um, and go like that. You know, you never know. Well, my, my nightmare, my nightmare scenario is the, uh, the fact that Zach Streif hangs on too long and has <laughs> another season going back and looking like he did last season. And I don't mean this season that we just completed 2016. Hey. I'm talking about the 2015 season. No, I know what you're talking about. And uh, then if you sign Leary and you bring in, you draft a guard, uh, now you can suddenly let Pete battle Streif for that right tackle position and see how he does just playing right tackle only. Um Yeah. You know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I don't think the offensive line is is bad off as some people may think, uh, but it all hinges on bringing in a free agent, a, a good free agent guard, because you need you, Leo and Calamente are just not the answers. I don't know what we're going to get if we ever going to see anything out of Landon Turner. He, we may not ever see anything out of him, um, and. I just can't see Sean Payton plugging in a rookie right away. I think you'd rather go with a, a veteran guard. So we'll see. We'll see how this works out. Um, but we can go into that more once free agency starts. That'll start uh, 
I think the end of February, I think it's free agency. Uh, I'll have to go back and look. I don't know the exact dates anymore. Um, I'll, I'll have the dates on that next week. Um, yeah. We kind of went points. over time here. Yes, we kind of went over time here, though. Um, you know, my basic rant last is about the Pro Bowl and how bad the Pro Bowl is, is now. And I think a lot of it is because you let idiot fans vote. Um, I'd rather see... Honestly, I would like to see, if you want to tweak the Pro Bowl and make it better, don't let the fans vote at all. Or if you vote, if they let them vote, don't even count that stuff. Uh, I want the coaches to pick. That's right. Coaches pick. I don't even trust the players because you watch that, nah. yeah. that damn one, top 100 list, that crap on the NFL Network. That's the stupidest list I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, they're talking about, but it ain't NFL players. It's just, it's horrible. You know, it, it's, it's a popularity contest. It's like the damn Tulane scholarships that the legislature used to give out, you know, Hey man, you vote for me. I'll vote for you. You know, that's how it's going to go. And we'll go from there. <laughs> just crap. I, I, I can't stand it. I, I really can. Okay. Real quickly. I want to do my rant. And get go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, people keep uh, given my predisposition uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. People automatically assume that. uh, Well, I guess you're going to be a a Patriots fan this uh, this coming weekend. Guys, girls, children of all ages. Let me clear up the record real quick for you. Absolutely. I will not support it. As I said last week, I will not support in any way, shape, form, or fashion the Atlanta Falcons, obviously, because I'm a Saints guy. But at the same time, uh, got it. I will not ever be guilty of supporting the New England Patriots in my opinion and this is completely my opinion support the Patriots no matter what's at stake that completely uh, ignores the fact that these guys uh, in my opinion are cheaters They've been caught on multiple occasions circumventing the rules for a competitive advantage, which is a textbook definition of cheating. League has taken a slap them on the wrist. And I love this game. I love the National Football League. I have supported it with my every fiber of my being for years and years and years and to support the New England Patriots is makes that because they have made a travesty of what I hold so dear in the NFL because they're making a mockery of the rules and regulations that are set up to govern this sport because they break the rules and they break the rules and they break the rules and they succeed and nobody cares. 
how quickly people were ready and willing to sweep it under the rug that they cheated. Well, it's not that big a, a, a rule. It's a rule. It's a rule that they broke to give them an advantage in a playoff game. That is cheating. And for someone that represents a team whose coach was taken out of the mix for an entire year and suspended, uh, this team, the New Orleans Saints, are still struggling to overcome the the deficit it was put in sanctions that were imposed on it. Now, right about now, they're just beginning to make headway as far as coming out from under salary cap hell um, and overcoming the loss of draft picks, etc. Uh, we're just reach a point where we're getting beyond that now. But how do you hold the New Orleans Saints accountable for quote-unquote, breaking the rules when you can't the New England Patriots? What makes them any different than the New Orleans Saints? They're a team just like we're a team. They can't follow the rules, then why should anybody? The, the New England Patriots, in, to, in my opinion, are everything that's wrong with this league, and I absolutely refuse to sign my name up and support them. Okay. Well, you know, my, my thing is what would have happened if the Patriots, if Bill Belichick would have been suspended for a year, um, like Sean sure. Payton was and two assistant coaches and, and three players, what would have happened to the Patriots then? Uh, I've read some stuff on a Patriots blog where they were basically whining that, you know, Tom Brady has suspended four games. That was too, that was excessive. You know, oh, we lost a draft pick. That was excessive. I'm like, you haven't seen excessive until you've seen what happened with the Saints and Bounty Gate. So, um, with far less evidence. Uh, there was no smash telephones. I mean, and the worst part about it was um, the um, – I, I just felt like it was done because of a lawsuit. Um, the, the league knew about teams running the smash for cash kind of programs, and we, we're going into Bounty Gate, and I really don't want to go into that because it's really a lot more complicated. The Saints did do things yeah. that skirted the law, but I disagree. They intentionally went out to hurt people. I disagree. There was a bounty on players. Um, paying or having little bets about getting turnovers or big hits or, you know, rough talk in the locker room. I, I, I just, I, I don't, it doesn't constitute a criminal conspiracy. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and that's how I felt. I felt that the punishment was way too excessive. That was an excessive punishment for that compared to, you know, what the Patriots had to go through. 
if Peyton has been suspended four games, that may have been more acceptable than being suspended for an entire season. You throw away an entire season, you know, yeah, that's tough. That's tough to swallow. But um, anyway, we're going to uh, – we'll talk, excuse me, more about the Pro Bowl – I mean, the Super Bowl. Sorry, not the Pro Bowl. We won't talk about that at all anymore. We'll talk more about the Super Bowl uh, next week in our preview of the Super Bowl. Uh, I looked it up while uh, Sean was on his rant. The uh, free agency period starts March, <laughs> March 7th through 9th. Uh, that's when free agency begins. So we'll have the combine before free agency. So we've got a good month. Really? Okay. Yeah, we've got a good month. Um, another month of I, no free agency. I, I, know, before. I know that between now, because I was uh, – on booking some some more people for the show um mm-hmm. the the big two-hour special that we're going to do pre-draft uh we're three months out from that right so so there's plenty of time but i mean it people have to realize it's a series uh, uh, not a series uh it's a process mm-hmm. maybe is a better word you you go through free agency okay then what your needs are after free agency you you approach in the draft, okay? What you mm-hmm. didn't cover in free agency in the draft, then you look at undrafted free agents. Uh, and, and like I said, it's a process. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, I'm doing my best to bring on board for this two hour show some uh, some really probably some of the the most uh, draft savvy people that I know. Um. <laughs> uh, that I know, I don't know that many people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, anyway, uh, thank you guys for uh, for joining us tonight. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking up. I'm looking up. Uh, make sure I was right on the dates. It is March seventh through the ninth. Uh, so we've got a little while there talking about free agency. Oh, okay. um, so anyway, uh, yes, they, uh, we'll talk more about the draft each week. Uh, once the Super Bowl's over with, uh, we'll start looking at you know more positions where the Saints uh need to address places where we think they're good right now, possible free agents that will be let go versus free agents that we suspect will probably get tagged by their franchises. Um, we still have to talk a little bit about the San Diego Chargers moving. I thought we would get to be able to talk about that this week, and we just ran out of time. Um, I, I want to talk about the Oakland Raiders. And the Oakland Raiders coming to Las Vegas, going to Las Vegas. Um, I want to talk about the San Diego Chargers and how that's going to impact the Saints uh, when their lease expires or um, their agreement with the state expires in 2025 already uh, and wow. what that means. Yeah, so we'll talk more about that probably the next week or week after once we're through all the games and everything. Uh, but in the meantime, thanks for sticking with us. We went way over time. We went almost a whole 30 minutes over. Um, and we'll see. We get a couple of guests. We might have a couple of guests next week. I have to talk to them and see what the heck they want to talk about. But uh, we may get a couple of guests come in. Um some female guests and see what they think, what they think about football. 
since this has been an all-male show, um, we'll uh, we'll catch you next week on Under the Dome. I'm going to hold my nose and maybe sit through the first quarter of the Super Bowl. Uh, I don't care about commercials. Uh, I think they're all overrated. There are some funny ones, but it, it's not a big deal for me to watch anymore. It's like it's it's like going to see that movie that everyone's talking about. And you're like going, eh, it is. <laughs> so anyway, thank you guys for watching Under the Dome. We'll catch you next Tuesday. Thank you guys so much. <laughs>